welcome everybody to the Beacon of Light podcast this evening. Today we have the most amazing Yuvina and we are so excited that she is here with us because she has an incredible book named Abba's Little Princess. So before we talk to her about all of that, let's jump into this. I'm April Tribe Juke. Welcome to the Beacon of Light podcast. I believe we are all made with light and light is hope. This podcast brings authors who write stories of hope to all of you. Your journey to be inspired and amplified by these stories starts now. And we're back. All right. Welcome, everybody. I can see people popping up here live. Please put down in the comments where you're from. And let's get this party started. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, wow. So many things. First, hi, everybody. Um, Really awesome to be here. A little bit about myself. Um, I'm from a small island of the coast of Italy called Sicily. Um, So I am an immigrant. I'm definitely imported. Um, I have moved all across different states in the United States. Um, Intriguing thing about me is that I work in corrections. So that's always exciting. Um, But I think one of the most important things about me is that I love Jesus and that he found me, he saved me and literally made me into a new creation. Um, and I think that's the basis of that. Um, that's me in a nutshell, all the things. Wow. Incredible. I mean, thinking about all of those pieces put together, some feel like "Eh, that's kind of over here and that's kind of over here. But really when you look at it, where did Jesus, you know, who did he serve? He served those who needed him most. And as working in corrections, we got lots of people that need some support, right? So what a bright light to bring to all those amazing people. So we've been talking down here. There's this ticker running underneath this, and it's called, her book is called Abba's Little Princess. And I had the privilege and opportunity of being an editor for her, and it was just an exciting time. And I'll never forget when she reached out to me, and I was like, okay. But then, you guys, she gave me the timeline. She's like, and like, can we have done like four weeks? I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so she was awesome. She just did her homework and, and nailed right into this. So tell us a little bit about your book. So my book was probably one of the hardest um, missions that God ever gave me. Um, I'll never forget it. I was in worship in my living room in my apartment in North Carolina, May 2018. And I had my Bible open and I was just having some intimate time with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he gave me a vision of the cover of this book. Um, I've always been a writer. So that part wasn't too hard for me to say yes to. And then as the Holy Spirit started to minister to me, it was more of like, you're going to write a book about your insecurities and your pain and my love. And there's all these really great things that I'm all for it until he got really specific about the type of insecurities and pain that I had to share with the world. And I was just not having it. Um, And isn't that quite a, a simple thing about the Christian walk, right? Is we ask God to lead, you know, we ask God to be our everything. And then he gives us what we're asking for. And we're like, not that way though, Lord, like that's not quite what I had envisioned. And so he gave me the mission of writing this amazing book that I just, I said no to for, for two years. 
I became Jonah for two years. And who is Jonah, for in case anybody doesn't know who's out there? <laughs> Share that story. So Jonah was a man of God, and he was also given a mission that he just completely disagreed with. He did not want to share God's word and God's love with people that were not nice. Um, they were very brutal people, and in God's love and forgiveness and mercy, which we love to get, but it's very hard for us to give it to other people, right? And that was Jonah's mission. And because Jonah did not understand fully how God works, and I don't think any of us do, which is why God and prophet Isaiah had the conversation of, you know, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, Jonah said, no, I'm going to go the opposite direction of where God is telling me to go. And he ended up in the belly of a whale. Yeah, so, and it's kind of like that for so many of us. When we run away and say no, we usually have an opportunity and some time mm -hmm. to maybe rethink that decision. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's um, whale stories might be slightly different, but I think we've all been in some sort of belly of the whale before. Um, hello, Melissa. Thank you guys so much for popping in here and being a part of this. Melissa mm -hmm. Ray is an amazing author as well. So mm -hmm. she says, never let a good idea go in the opposite direction. So as you were um, <clears throat> swimming in your belly of the, the whale here, when you were like, nope, I'm not writing this book, mm -hmm. anything in your life that suddenly made the change? For me, it was two years later. Um, I had gone through a bunch of different things um, as far as being homeless and living in a homeless shelter with my son, um, changing jobs, moving states, going back to college. I mean, every area of my life was just completely chaotic. And I got to the point where the thing that I've learned about God is if he gives me a task and I choose to say no, he's never going to elevate me to do something else. It's always like, but you still have to do this. Um, and so he brought me to all these challenges and obstacles, which brought me to a place of surrender. And in my time of just prayer and fasting, uh, I searched for clarity and I searched for directions of all these different things happening with, within this two year span. And all I could hear in my spirit is go back to what I asked you to do. And that was two years prior about writing the book um, and overcoming a lot of the obstacles and challenges. And so I'll never forget it. Um, some traumatic things came to light June of 2020, right after the pandemic hit. And I found, I told myself, you're either going to accept God's mission, which you know, he's got a plan. You know, he's good. This mission isn't there to hurt you in any way. Um, or it almost felt like I was going to turn away from my faith. And for me, that cannot be an option. Um, I love God too much, if that's even a thing. And of course, his love for me is even bigger and better. Um, so I finally surrendered. I submitted and I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you with my pain. And you and I, um, had several conversations about that, um, during the editing process and doing our zoom videos and the tears that, you know, I shed, but I have to trust him with my pain and knowing that his plan is good, 
even though the enemy might come, and he did throughout the whole process. Um, my flesh may rise because I'm human, um, but I came to a place of I needed to surrender because I love God. I know he is good. This mission is going to be good, too. And so July 2020, you and I got together and the book was written in four weeks. Four weeks. Yes. Yeah, it was like whirlwind, <laughs> incredible zone, um, the emotions, high and lows and all of these things. And it it's it's an experience that when you go through it, you just have to be within the moment. And as we went through these these minute by minute things, I remember you sharing a lot of the stories. I don't want to give everything away, but please go check out this book, Abba's Little Princess, because the stories within there really help to um, you you learn. Sorry, you learn how to go through the insecurities of your mm -hmm. life because you're giving these things with God's help to be to overcome them and to strengthen you. Oh, but it's tough. <laughs> it's just not really, no one said it was fun. No. <laughs> but, but there is such reflection back on this. Mm -hmm. And I have to say your story really helped to prepare me for so many future clients that I didn't know about. So it was this mutual thing where mm -hmm. Heavenly Father knows, all right, you know, she has these things and um, we you know these things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. They need to meet at this point and then both are going to be able to roll out more and more things. So it, it's really just an awesome thing. So share with us, if you will, mm -hmm. one of your stories that you talk about with the insecurities and how you overcame them. So for me, one of the stories that I often share when I'm speaking, um, when I'm coaching other women to this process um is the story of when i was five and i lost my i lost two teeth at the same time and so coming from sicily coming from a different culture um i always joke around that our tooth fairy used to work the first shift um she wasn't a third shift uh type of fairy and so i remember placing my you know the teeth that i lost under my pillow and going to school and coming back after school i could tell that the pillows were moved so like any child, I got excited. And part of my culture was the tooth fairy did not leave money. She left presents. So I knew, you know, presents. I mean, who doesn't like to come home from school and get presents? And so I remember, you know, moving the pillows and looking at the presents and just knowing that something was wrong. But as a child, I couldn't put my finger on it on exactly what I was feeling. And so it wasn't stuffed animals, it wasn't dolls, it wasn't anything that you would assume that a five-year-old would receive. Um, it was white socks, um, it was white tennis shoes, it was these track suits. I mean, I can still, I vividly remember um, the memory. I think it will forever be burned um, in my brain. But these track suits and then this kind of like paper ID and it was a gym membership. Um, keep in mind, I was five and the gym was directly located across the street from us. Um, and so I remember trying to process these as a five-year-old. And I remember my mother standing in by the door in my bedroom and saying, now you're going to be beautiful. That meant I needed to go to the gym as a five-year-old to lose weight because I've predominantly always been a chubby, uh, woman. Skinny means beauty. Um, and that's what I grew up 
with that. And that was one of the earliest memories that I remember where my looks and my size mattered way more than I learned in this process of what God actually thinks and calls. So, And what does God actually think and call about his creations, which you are? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Ephesians outlines so many different things, such as being called a masterpiece, right? And so one of my favorite things, and I remember I had read this verse several times before God really it was almost like he sat down as I was writing the book and was like, hey, f- focus, you're reading it, but you're not processing and walking by my word, which is a living, breathing thing. And it was when Samuel came to David's house to uh, anoint um, and he didn't quite know that it was going to be David, the lanky, you know, sheep um, herder, black sheep of the family, um, the irony of that. So he went through David's brothers, starting with the most tallest, handsomest, strongest, all the characteristics that society teaches us that that's what beauty is. That's what you want. You want the tallest, the skinniest, the one with the most expensive body, just all of these very superficial things. Um, and God had the conversation with Samuel. No, I do. You guys look at appearances. I look at the heart. And so God brought me part of the healing process for that was that God, again, sees things differently than we do. And who should we listen to at the end of the day? Should we listen to the creator who literally created us, predestined us for all of these things or society that can't make up their mind from one day to the other? Right. And it is just that much of the wind pushing, swaying to and fro. Melissa says, uh, yes, and she also says, stay in your faith. You are a masterpiece. Thank you so much, Melissa. Exactly. Um, Another Facebook user says, you know, we are groomed by those that tell us things as children, right? Because children are open and ready to start to hear truth. And once we start to receive information, we make the decision, well, you know, I believe in my parents and this is a loving place. So of course I'm going to trust that. And you can see the challenges that happen. Mm -hmm. And so I have to ask you a question. Were you anchored in God when you were young, when you were five, was that part of your home life? So I grew up Catholic, like almost every European on the continent. Um, But it wasn't anything as far as my parents were practicing um even the faith and we know that catholicism and christianity are are different um so i never had a relationship with god um in this the form of the sense that i do today what i always understood though is that i had an attraction to the cross and one of the things that i even one of the stories that i end up telling in my book is the fact that we always had like a road to Damascus parade. Um, And it was what it consisted of was the Catholic priests and the altar boys would literally pick up this giant crucifix. Um, It took like 10 or 12 men to basically lift it. And in the small town where I lived, there was the bottom level, which was right by the Mediterranean Sea. And then half of the city was literally up a mountain. And so they would start at the bottom where the town square would be and all of the people would come, um, families, children, and we would literally walk 
what is estimated to be the amount of time that Jesus carried his cross um, to the top of the hill. And I remember my father bringing me to this one night because I couldn't sleep. And he's like, well, you know, she's a toddler again. Um, so walking will tire her up. And I remember looking at the, the giant uh, crucifix and I was, I ran away from my dad a little bit and I was pushing through the crowd of the clergymen and all of that because they, there was such a strong pull that I needed to be near that, the cross. Um, and I pretty much made it all the way through the parade. My father, I remember him picking me up um, and taking me back home because he was tired at the end of that. But it was just always a pull for me um, to get near Jesus, to get near the cross, even though I had no clue why or what any of that was about. It's really interesting because when you have that, the, the light of Christ within you, you are connected, drawn to, want more of, and, and that truth and that light happens, especially when we see such young ones, they just have that light, right? And that innocence and that, that desire. And so when all of those things combine together and something like that is going past you, you think, oh, it, it just, mm -hmm. it just naturally kind of happens. Um, this wonderful person says, are we all on a journey to return to the childlike belief mm -hmm. God had when we came to this existence? Great question. That, I would think, what do you think? I think that is a good question. Um, I think children are very simple in within their, just what they believe in. Um, it's not all about almost what everybody else thinks or anything like that. It's almost like they have tunnel vision of this. If it's a good, wonderful thing, they're, they're focused and they don't, even though asking questions is great, and that's a big difference between Catholicism and Christianity, um, I can ask God and anything I want. Um, I can ask, you know, my my church pastor anything that I want. Questions are good, um, and Catholicism not so much. But I think as children, if we we are able to ask questions, but we it doesn't really matter if it's good, it's good, and we know it, and we just follow it. Um, and sometimes it may be silly and crazy to other people. Um, I know a lot of kindergartners that truly believe that mud tastes great and they're not listening to the teacher or to nobody else. They like mud and that's their focus. So I, I think all of us should return to some state of childlike faith. Absolutely. Yeah. The childlike faith is something that we really have to put away a lot of our, um, I would say our, our bad habits, mm -hmm. <laughs> these ideas that are, that are false or, or that are mixed, right? Where, or we get some scriptures that might be mingled in with a lot of people, what a lot of people might say or think it means and so on. So if we just focus in on, on God and on your, in your book, you call Abba, right? And we read that many times within the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so how did you feel that you became, or, I mean, I guess you always were, but the idea is like, when did you know that, that was you, Abba's little princess. So I think it started with the realization for me that I was this grown woman um, in my 30s. And my emotional and even mental um, health was that of a, of a little girl still. What we know in psychology and neuroscience is that trauma has an impact physically, emotionally, and mentally on the body and the brain. And so 
some parts of our brain, some parts of our growth get stunted when the trauma happens. And so it was like some parts of me was always a little girl and I was operating as a little girl and my insecurities kind of helped me stay stuck because I was stuck in the same age that all of these traumas happened that later on became my insecurities. And so I think I was always a little girl, but in this process of God basically holding my hand and say, listen, I know you have these insecurities. I've always known. I knew before you were born that you were going to struggle with these things. So hold my hand, my daughter, and let me walk you through this process. Let me give you some revelations. And so I came from being a scared, fearful little girl to my father is a king, which automatically makes me a princess. And in that aspect of I became Abba's little princess. So. I think that's great. I, the idea of the king the princess the royalty the family mm -hmm. that whole connection together is so 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 important um i i see this idea right the the shaming that happens and when we don't follow what we feel is the norm there are just so many different things that are really going on but really if we can connect and put away and put aside those things and become really childlike then we have that connection that really allows us to feel God's light and move forward. Melissa says that she loves that. Amen. I think that is fantastic. It's fantastic. So what were some of the painful parts that you overcame, uh, maybe in the process of this, of writing this book that you feel would help someone out there tonight? I think one of the major things is what I do to maintain the healing that came from writing this book and God taking me on this process for two years. Um, and it's things that I still use. I've healed from my insecurities, but that doesn't mean that they don't come up. Right. It doesn't mean that I don't have a fleeing thought and I, you know, sometimes become even paralyzed in the anxiety. And so one of the things that I talk about in the book is how I, A, not just necessarily overcame this, but also how I maintain it. And one of the things that I think is really helpful for me is to understand that God calls us to hold our thoughts captive. Um, and from that process, I learned that my feelings aren't facts. Feelings are not truth, right? And so I think the enemy likes to use a filter uh, and we see that, and we see that even in the church, right? Christian getting offended by other Christians. Um, somebody says something and the enemy just puts on this filter veil. And then what you said was, hey, um, I think you should have wore a longer dress. And what I processed was, oh, are you saying I look fat? Or why, why, why are you trying to tell me what to wear? It's not any of that. So when I have moments of insecurities, when the enemy catches me on a time where I haven't prayed or I haven't fasted, I have not suited up with the armor, which my book talks about, um, I, I take a breath, right? And I'm like, okay, why are these negative thoughts popping back in? Why is my anxiety attacking me? And I remember feelings are not facts. And I have the authority in Christ Jesus to hold my thought, my thoughts captive. And then I get to parallel them with the truth. So if God called me a masterpiece and I'm looking in the mirror saying, you know, you're still ugly, you're still fat. I, I get to take charge in that and say, you know what? 
I hold that thought captive in Jesus' name. The creator said, I'm his masterpiece. Therefore, I can't be ugly. And my body size holds no value to the king. And so that's something that I... I definitely use, I don't have to do it every day like I used to, because again, there has been healing, but it's something that I definitely share with the women that I coach, with the ministries that I'm involved in, even with the inmates that um, as a part of my job being a correctional counselor, I am a certified correctional counselor. um, We talk about those things, right? Because again, trauma creates seeds. And one of the most valuable lessons is the fact that I have the power to cut down that tree. And I have the power to plant other seeds, which is the word of God. And that is just so beautiful. And as we see this tree of life come forward and we can partake of the fruit, I know we are so close to what that richness is of the gospel. Mm -hmm. There's just something that is truly humbling about that. And I feel like with that light that's there keeps us rooted. Mm-hmm. And but we have to be careful, right? Every day that the image of the, the fiery darts that never stop, mm-hmm. or I also think of it as the acid rain that continuously drips. And if we're not cleaning mm-hmm. ourselves off or protecting ourselves or constantly in the maintenance of things, uh, once that weakness opens up, it's just going to keep firing in more and more. So if we know that and we, I feel like the, the vigilance comes even more to say, well, not today. <laughs> and so Melissa says, she says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give you life abundantly and to have you to be your good shepherd and continue to remind ourselves that his truth is for us and it diffuses the enemy. Thank you, Melissa. Yes, that's wonderful. So we have a question here that says, how, how do you influence a survivor to trust the word of God when we feel he allowed the abuse to happen in the first place? Great question. Um, and I think this stems from a very popular question um, that maybe new believers or even non-believers ask, well, if your God is so powerful, why does he allow evil to exist in the world, right? Why do bad things happen to quote unquote good people? And Paul can address good people in the book of Romans. Um, for me, and I can only kind of talk about my journey and my process with God. Um, it is the fact that I, I fully and truly believe when him and prophet Isaiah had that conversation of my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And let's even just dissect that, right? Because I think also a lot of people think, well, that's a cop out, right? What does that even mean? If I believe that the this all-powerful, all-knowing, you know, abundant God, right? That is not man. Um, he is way bigger and more than I can even imagine or even begin to understand. If I understood the reasons and motives of everything that he does, then him and I would be equal. And then why would I worship somebody that is equal to me? Right. Um, And so for me, it comes with, I trust God for the entity that he is, even though I do not understand him a hundred percent. I do not know what he's thinking pretty much almost half the time, if not more. Right. 
And that's okay because in the ways that he has shown himself to me and in the way that his word um, illustrates it, I know that I'm in safe hands, right? And I'm not responsible um, necessarily for the evil that has happened to me. One of the things that April and I talk about a lot of the times is that I am a sexual uh, abuse survivor. I have an extensive resume of being molested as a child, of being raped in various age uh, ranges. And I could easily ask, why me, right? Um, and people would say, well, that's justified. You know, why would the God you love so much um, allow you to do that? He could easily have, you know, turn your rapist into a pillar of salt right before he started to rape you, right? And he could have, absolutely. Um, however, I know that whatever came through of that bad traumatic experience um has been good and has affected not just me and i believe that what god will because god can see it all and because god had predestined all of his children um it's more of are you willing to go through some not so good things for you to not just become better and be who I know you're predestined to be, but also take a bunch of people with you in, in that moment. And so as April knows, um, one of my favorite populations is the sex offender population. And I'm in my master's to become a sex offender treatment provider. And I cannot even tell you um, how many times I've had inmates who are sex offenders coming to my office and God just shows up in just in powerful ways that I cannot even verbally describe. And we have these grown men that are repenting. And we have these grown men who people says they're monsters. Um, but I gave them a chance to have a safe space as a victim. And they don't know any of this, right? Um, and their hearts have changed. I've seen rapists change their lives completely because they turned to God, right? To the one that allowed some bad things to happen in my life. But what comes after that, um, it's just incredible. So I don't have the perfect answer. Um, God is God and he is entitled to do whatever God wants. I think for me, it's just the trust in knowing who he is and not necessarily why he does everything that he does. It does take a lot of faith because there are those moments where I believe that in agency that we are all given opportunities to choose. So the person that, that chooses to do terrible things has the choice. Mm -hmm. the, the people that might be in the wrong place, wrong time, we have a choice. How do we respond to this? How do we heal through this? And who can we help afterwards? And the, the testing, the ideas, the thinking about so many different things, we can really make it complicated and like evidential we'll prove this prove this prove this and sometimes when we let go and let god mm -hmm. those answers come very personal for yourself and then you have a witness and you know uh but it it just doesn't happen it it takes searching it takes mm -hmm. part of the, the the praying the fasting the reading and the worshiping to know what is those what are the next pieces and so healing comes from a higher power for sure, because that's how we're able to, to really change, repent, release, forgive. And wow, the, the doors really open up. 
Thank you again for such a great question. And Evina, thank you so much for being here as a beautiful guest. We are almost down here to our time. So is there anything you would like to share um, about Abba's Little Princess that we might not have covered yet? I think the main message um, that I want to convey tonight, outside of if you struggle with insecurities, if you even just want to know God on a more intimate level, um, the book is a great resource. Um, it's definitely helped me writing it. It's been very therapeutic to other women. Um, it's been very therapeutic to other men. I think for me, I want to drive the fact of if you maybe don't have a relationship with God, um, if you maybe are curious about God, or if you say, well, I've been a Christian for years and I just, there's something missing. Um, my advice or suggestion would be to ask yourself, what if I give this an actual try? And one of the ways when I used to share the gospel a lot, um, especially with the LGBTQ plus community would be, I have a simple mission if you so choose to take it. Um, find a place where you're absolutely comfortable at. It could be your car. Um, it could be your bedroom. It could be hiking, wherever you feel uh, most comfortable and secure in. And this may sound really silly. And to some, it may sound really stupid. Um, but once you find that comfortable place and you find a few minutes, maybe even a, a few hours, whatever the time limit you choose to give yourself, have an out loud conversation with him. Um, him being my Abba, right? Our God, um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even if it starts off with, I don't even think you're real or you exist, but if you do, here it is. And just pour out your life, your soul, literally bear your soul to him. Um, and the challenge is continue to do that for 30 days. And then see what happens, right? See if your life begins to change, if your thoughts begin to change, if something, if anything changes. Um, because I think for me, I could not have learned forgiveness or dealt with my insecurities without God. So even more of the message of just buy my book, it's great. It's find God, get to know him, um, whether it's for the first time or it's for the hundredth time, because we all fall short of his glory, right? Um and the third thing I want to say is if you actually so choose to do that mission, I know my contact information is below with my email address. If you choose to do that for 30 days, shoot me an email because I will pray with you. Um, and if you have any other questions, I will answer those as well because you're not alone. We were never meant to do life alone. Life was always about one person with other people with God. So Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, connect with her. You have the information there. Go grab Abba's Little Princess. Let's see how your hearts and things can change. We are in this fall time of life preparing for the Christmas celebration and holidays. And what better way than to find a relationship with God before all of that. Thank you, everybody. And thank you so much for sharing and being a part of this as well. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.